0: So we finally made it, Richard.
1: Yes, we're done with all of Star Trek, and we finished our five year mission to record every episode of Trek About. But we've only been doing this for three years. Well, listen, time travel is involved.
0: Oh, time is not linear, Richard. Yes.
1: <laughs> so, okay, let,
0: let's get right into this. Uh,. This we're talking about emissary, the pilot episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Uh, you know, for a little background for Richard, because we're sort of doing this in a, I guess, a little bit of a strange fashion. You know, we had kind of a debate internally and on, on Twitter with some of our fans about you know how we should do the show, right? And and there was kind of this idea about you know, Trek about started as we're going to start and we're just going to go through the entire series uh, uh, in the order that it was aired. And when we got to sort of the the fourth and fifth season of of the Next Generation, there was kind of a question in my mind about whether or not we should sort of intersperse yeah. uh, uh, the shows because, of course, Deep Space Nine started about the begin uh, the middle of the sixth season of the Next Generation.
1: That's some of the questions that I have. Okay,
0: and we can we can you know I'm sure Richard is yeah. going to have questions about that as we talk about Emissary. so that'll come up. But kind of what I, what I decided and what Richard and I decided by talking about this is that the show is really about you know richard's journey into star trek and it's really about can someone get something out of star trek is star trek something that is still relevant in this day and age someone never really seeing star trek before we're talking about you know the 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 middle part of the second decade of the 21st century now we're talking about older stuff uh and it was decided that we were going to do it show by show because that was really the show that we were doing. Yeah, we're, I think really, it made
1: more sense to take each as a piece. And, you know, exactly. for next generation, we were able to view it more overarching. And we would still be in the middle of it if we were doing that.
0: Well, right, exactly. And I think that, that what Trek About does is we really talk about each show as a discrete entity. And yes, there are connections. I mean, Picard is an emissary, yeah, for yeah, example. Yeah. We'll talk about that. But
1: from the – from this pilot, I can already see this is a very different show.
0: Okay, well, what what do you mean
1: by well, that? Well, I mean, the thing that I noticed the most about this is so Next Generation had this rule from the beginning that, you know, all of these characters are in this together and they're going to discuss things and they're going to, you know, but they're and they all respect each other, but they're not going to really argue amongst each other. And for the most part, even though there's, you know, Riker and Picard don't really know each other at the beginning, some things like that. Every—you know, there are a lot of people who know each other and have worked together before or know each other by reputation. You know, from the beginning of Next Generation, everyone has a respect and a trust for each other. Or They're all—again, they're all in this together. They're all on the Enterprise together. Right away in Deep Space Nine, most of the characters don't really like or trust each other. And— you know, because they, and they are, you know, you have the Major and Cisco from the beginning are butting heads because, you know, for legitimate reasons, she feels that, you know, the Federation's coming in and is going to, you know, be just, you know, the new boss, same as the old boss. And, you know, so she, she doesn't trust the main character of the show. And she is at least based on this episode, kind of the second main character in a lot of ways, you know, that friction is fascinating coming off of you know, original series and Next Generation. You know, you have characters who are meeting for the first time and who, again, have Cisco hates and mistrusts and is terrified of Picard for legitimate reasons. And this is Captain Fucking Picard. You know, I think that's a very again that tone. That tone alone is very different.
0: Yeah, no, I would agree with that, and I think that that you know you're picking up on one of the the primary differences between uh, yeah. uh, Deep Space Nine and and the rest of Star Trek, which is really that. Um, we have main characters for the first time that aren't in Starfleet. Yeah, and and that hasn't been done before, and that's going to change the the feel of the show. I mean, really, and change the feel of the characters and how they interact, and all of these kind of things. And I think what you're seeing already is, you know, you have Kira, uh, who is a Cardassian. You have Cardassian. Oh my god, that was terrible. <gasps> Kira would kill me. <laughs> Kira is a Bajoran. Uh, you have the appearance of of Quark as as a Ferengi.
1: You have Odo, who we don't know what his species is. Right. You have Dax, who is she's so she's one of the Trill symbiotes, right? Right. And I can see already where they're slightly going a different angle with that. Yeah, they are because uh, you know this it implies that w- when we originally saw the episode where uh, Crusher falls in love with one of them, it's almost implied that the body is just a you know, an unthinking shell. And here it implies that, you know, she had a personality before it was implanted. Yeah. Um, I will assume that they go further into that as it goes, but yeah, um, yeah.
0: And I think so. What you know, what what I think is interesting about this, and you know, we can talk about all the main characters as they're set up because mm-hmm. I think that you know it's interesting how they're set up in this episode. There's and some, how they yeah, sort of develop as, as some the time you get a better sense
1: of than others. You know, certainly,
0: but yeah. Well, it's a pilot, and they're telling, yeah. trying to tell a story, and they're trying to establish all of these characters. Mm-hmm. They're trying to establish this new world. I mean, they're yeah. they're trying to do a lot of different things.
1: And again, Cisco and Kira seem to be the two you know, some of the more focal characters and most of the episode is spent on them.
0: You yeah. Know? Yeah. But what I think is interesting about, about deep space nine is Cisco is already set up as a character, which doesn't really want to be there. Yeah. Uh, doesn't really even want to be in Starfleet anymore and has a lot of, frankly, uh, you know, PTSD, emotional yeah. baggage, whatever you want to call it from, his his experiences at Wolf 359. And so, number one, okay, num- the, the show already starts off on an interesting foot yeah. because you get to see the battle of Wolf 359 or you get yeah, to see some of Yeah, And
1: from a different, you know, we saw some ships getting destroyed. We I don't even know if we saw this sh- this particular ship getting destroyed in Best of Both Worlds. Well, that's
0: interesting you say that because you don't see the battle at all in, in, in oh, the right, Worlds. Oh, that's right. You see the aftermath. You see the aftermath.
1: So, you know, but it's for the most part, you know, if we rewatch the episode, we can point to some records and say, oh, that was Cisco's ship, you know, for the most part. And. Again, you know, I, I know from one of the things I do know about DS nine is it is kind of showing the Federation from a third person perspective in some ways, you know, how other, you know, planets view the Federation. Again, already we see Kira thinking that, you know, the Federation's just gonna come in and not gonna give us independence and it's another right. occupying force, you know. And
0: which to be frank, I don't think is an unfounded yeah. fear. I mean Picard is already talking about wanting to push Bejor's. Acceptance into the Federation. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And I don't think that Kira wants that.
1: You know, from original, you know, and I think it's interesting because original series and uh next generation, you know, the Federation is unabashedly good. There may be occasional people within the Federation who are corrupt, but it is set up so that, um you know, the system is set up so that way once that's discovered, you know, they're reformed or taken out, you know, yeah. even moments like, uh, the drumhead, you know, again, where we, you know, the woman is very, you know, corrupt and, you know, paranoid inquisitor, you know, she's revealed to be, you know, at the end, sympath- she's almost sympathetic at the end of that too. Yeah. And, you know, here again, it's starting to go into, well, not everybody thinks the Federation is a good thing. You know, it's, w- in a lot of ways, the Federation is America. That was definitely one of the themes of, uh, Original series, and while next Generation made that a bit more broad, um, you know, it is still us, we're the protagonists, we're the good guys. Right. And you know, I can already see this show is saying, well this this show takes a more worldly perspective, I think, already.
0: No, it absolutely does. And I think, you know, having a bunch of aliens mm. as main characters is really different. You know, I mean, in, in The Next yeah. Generation, you had, you know, Troy, who was, a, I mean, whatever. She's basically human, even though she's not. And you had Worf, of course, which was, a, you know, kind of a different thing. But for the most part, everybody was human. Yeah, they, they, they just
1: really looked like, they looked like humans. You know, they may have, they're culturally different. And, you know, they look different. But that's no different than saying, well, you know, somebody from, you know, Japan is going to look different than me and going to have a different set of values. But we're both human. At the end of the day, you know, Uh, both Worf and Picard, you know, will be able to come to a consensus, you know, because they're basically the same. Here you have Odo and Dax are very different, you know, physiologically.
0: Well, not only that, I think, you know, it doesn't doesn't necessarily even matter that they're different species. It's more that they're not part of Starfleet and they're not part of the Federation. Mm. And I think that's what the real difference is here. And that's kind of the key to the pilot is... Here you have characters. I mean, let's talk about Kira. We've talked about yeah. her already a little bit, but here is someone who spent her entire life in refugee camps fighting against the Cardassians. Yeah. And as soon as the Cardassians leave, and they they talk a little bit about this sort of provisional government idea, and the, I'm going to have
1: some questions about that. But
0: yeah, but and so what happens is that Kira is very very hesitant to trust the Federation is yeah. very hesitant to trust Starfleet is very
1: hesitant to trust Cisco, and in a lot of ways she feels the Federation is undermining her because you know yeah as we see in this episode she is extremely competent she knows what she's doing you know it's almost an insult and a very paternalistic thing suddenly here's a you know I I don't think it's coincidental that you know here we have a competent woman and a man comes in and says oh we're gonna fix your problems you know that's well. That's not one of the. Well, while that is kind of more of a buried subtext of it. It's certainly a you know someone saying you can't handle your own problems on this, and she feels that she can.
0: But I wonder if they can though, and that's kind of the open question. Well, I yeah, think-
1: as Picard says, you know they've been the Kardashians strip mine the entire planet. They have nothing. You know they at the very least do need some you know relief to you know get back on their feet to, to rebuild the infrastructure you know they can't do that on their own it's true but yeah. i don't think those are the terms that they necessarily would have chosen
0: well and i also think that that if you look at if you look at Kira and you sort of extrapolate out what she's the little bits of background that we already know about her uh, she's obviously a soldier, and she's someone who spent her entire life fighting against you know insurmountable odds with with you know limited yeah. resources. And so I think that she feels ve- I mean she feels very self sufficient because she's had to be self sufficient. She almost think-
1: seems to in, you know enjoy that challenge. I get that sense you know, and you know that's where she thrives when she has you know inser- you know an insurmountable challenge.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely, and I think that the thing about Kira is also that uh, she is someone who doesn't necessarily even want to be there either. And I think yeah. that's kind of the interesting thing about the episode is how many of these characters don't really want to be here. I mean, Cisco doesn't want to be yeah. there. Kira says she doesn't want to be there. I feel like uh, Kira might even more... Bashir, yeah. Bashir wants to be there, but he's also incredibly insufferable and insulting to Kira because he's talking about how they're on the frontier, yeah. blah,
1: blah, blah. And, you know, He Kira's, wants to be in... A, he doesn't necessarily want to be on Deep Space Nine. He wants to be in an adventure movie. Right, You know? right. And I think Kira kind of... Would rather, you know, based on when she's saying, you know, oh, well, Starfleet officers don't get their hands dirty and all, I think she would much rather be on the planet actually in a refugee camp helping, you know, helping people on the ground, you know, rather than overseeing things.
0: Well, and frankly, too, I mean, it, it's, the, you know, let, let's step back a second and yeah. talk about the sort of the whole pilot as a whole, because mm. I think that this is a very high concept pilot. You know, there's, and it's yeah. a high concept, it's a high concept show, really. I mean, this is, like you said it's a very different it's already a very different show from the next generation because the next generation was very much just the original series only with new characters. Yeah. And the concept of the next generation and the concept of Star Trek for the for the preceding um you know basically 30 years before yeah. this was we're on a ship and we're just going out and we're going to see what's there and we're going to have these adventures. And now suddenly what you have with Deep Space 9 is you have uh, uh, a character with a with a serious backstory in Cisco. You have a yeah. char- You have a, a whole you know socio political economic thing going on with the Bajorans. You have this sort of like uh, uh, other subplot with the Cardassians and the Bajorans and what's going on with the Bajorans in the Federation. You have this idea of the Bajoran religion and how that ties into yeah. the wormhole and the the orbs. You ha- I mean there's a lot of stuff going on in this pilot and it's it's very much setting up an entire world. In a very different way than we've ever seen Star Trek do before. Yeah. And next
1: generation seemed to world build like by accretion, you know. In other words, we put in it, you know, we put in an alien species and okay, well, that's part of the universe and we'll add, you know, oh, you know, what event happened? We'll recall that later. Here they did a lot of, you know, now they had more to build on, certainly, but. They did do you know, this show obviously had a Bible more than, you know, or next generation did. You know what I mean? Well, like, I don't know
0: that I would agree with that. But I think that that, you know, in 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 essence though, this is being set up as a very different mm-hmm. show, and it's being set up as a show that has very clear ideas about where it wants to go, perhaps. I don't know. But that's kind of an interesting direction to take a spin off, and I think that it's I think it was the right call. I don't but the thing is I don't know that this episode is entirely it's not entirely successful in doing that yeah. either. Well, I mean, I there are some parts of it that are very, very slow, and there are parts of it that don't really work very well.
1: It's it, In a way, it's three different episodes, and in a way, this kind of reminds me of – I'm viewing this as a counterpoint to an encounter at Farpoint. I mean, there are – I, I think, in a way, the character work is one thing, and I liked all the character work in here. I think the actual plot of it, as in, you know, this wormhole, the aliens, is goofy. It doesn't entirely make sense. It's, you know, it feels slightly like it's, it, you know, the whole weird jellyfish thing from Encounter at Farpoint was not what I, you know, is not the point of Encounter at Farpoint at much. Here, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Like, I didn't really care about the nonlinear aliens as much as you know, I do about I I found myself wanting to spend more time with the other characters than this random alien trippy sequence. Yeah. Uh,
0: yeah, I would agree with that. And I think that the the extended sequences in the wormhole. Mm-hmm. While they're important, I
1: will oh, say Oh yeah. That. I, I mean and they're that, well they're well done in and of themselves.
0: And they're also important later on down the line, not to get too far into spoiler territory, but
1: we see these aliens again. They have a yeah. They yeah, okay. We absolutely, see them again. But see but that, so, that that in a way because we never saw the jellyfish again.
0: <laughs> well, right. I mean, this. Well, that's and again. This yeah. is this is why Deep Space Nine is a very different show than the Next Generation. Is that I will say that everything that you see in this pilot um, has ramifications seven years later. Okay. And you know we haven't even really talked about. L- 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 let's bring this around. I think that we haven't really talked about what the emissary means. And. It's something that's kind of buried in the pilot. I don't even know that you picked up on it. You're giving uh, me a blank look. I mean,
1: I rem- at one point, the, you know, Lady Pope, uh, whatever her name Kayo is. Kayopaka. Yeah, Kayopaka, who... Uh, who you will love. Yeah, and, and again, you know, watching this from a, you know, the next generation, she would have been a one-off character. Here, it's fairly obvious she's going to come back um well and this is why and again
0: i think not not to there's so much to talk about yeah i think
1: it's just you know it's hard to sort of like just kind of
0: uh, it's making me think of other things but i think this is one of the reasons why i was so excited to see you watch the show yeah. because this is really i think a show that you're really going to enjoy because a lot of the as much as you enjoyed the next generation yeah, yeah. i think that you did have some problems with the way that it was sort of structurally handled and it was kind of you know clunky and characters would drop in and out and you would never really see them again and I will say that Deep Space Nine is very, very invested in building up a backbench of secondary characters. Yeah, that, so in other words that occur, yeah. that reoccur over and over again.
1: So in other words, like they knew what Kayapaka's function would be for, if not the full series at least, you know, the first couple seasons. And you I don't know, know that I would go that far. But I, I feel like characters that, in the next generation, they just kind of thought about her on an episode term. Yeah. And, you know, again, oh, you know, she was a cool character. All right, let's think about what else she could do, you know, was the next generation storytelling.
0: I think the best thing that you can say, or maybe the, the the way to sum that up, is I do think that the showrunner on Deep Space Nine thought about each season. Mm. I don't think that, yeah. that they knew where they were going to go in season seven, but I think that they knew what they were kind of trying to do in each season. Uh, and contrast that with the Next Generation, which yeah. I think was very much just episodic, seat of the pants mm-hmm. kind of kind of thing.
1: Yeah, and that's fair, you know. And not to say that 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 either
0: one is invalid. I think both are no, valid I love approaches. Next Generation. Sure, yeah. And I think that that watching Next Generation it over again, I kind of got a very good sense of of what it is a show and its strengths and and when it was at its best, it was really yeah. good. Yeah. Um, Deep Space Nine is just going to be a different show.
1: Yeah, um, but I like that. I mean, I don't necessarily want to see uh, Next Generation all the time.
0: And if you do want to see Next Generation again, you can see Star Trek Voyager in about two years. Yay! But yeah, so this emissary business. Yeah, at one so, point she
1: says, you know, it's funny you don't like us, but you're our emissary, you know. He he is the one who, you know, like it or not, Cisco is the one who's responsible for, if not saving the Bajorans, at least. Because yeah. I, I guess one of the interesting things that I I, I – this is a side point, and again, we're talking about – We've always seen planets as being, you know, one town that represents—or, you know, a group of the half dozen people who represent the thoughts of the entire planet, yeah. you know? Um There were a. What was the one episode where they had um, the planet who, you know, there was that one fringe group of revolutionaries and they were saying, oh, we don't know if they can join the Federation because they're not united, you know, and all this? Yeah, yeah. Um,
0: I don't remember what the episode was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, But
1: here it's very. I mean, the term civil war is mentioned several times in this episode. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Kayapaka, I think, says, you know, if we don't come to a decision, you know, it'll be civil war for us. You know, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. one of Kira's problems is that, you know, she – and she obviously represents a ton of people in Beijing who think getting the Federation in is not the right decision for them. Yeah. And, you know, she's very openly critical of her government's decision to contact the Federation. You know, that is a – that very strongly suggests that, you know – I mean, no, it doesn't even suggest it explicitly states that this is not a unified planet either. Yeah. And yeah. – which I think is more – which makes it more interesting, frankly.
0: Well, yeah, and they make the point in the episode that the Bajorans do have a lot of divisions and do have a lot of yeah, political divisions, as but, they would. Well, sure, yeah, but I think, and especially looking at the planet as a whole, as someone, as a people that were occupied for you know fifty years or yeah. whatever, right? Um, but I think that, that what's interesting about this is this is the first time that I think religion has played a big part in
1: Star Trek, and um, in a way, like in in a way, I don't know because I. Definitely we see in Vulcan and especially uh, Klingon, you know, we see their spiritual and religious traditions. But that's more done as character notes and cool set pieces and stuff like that, you know. uh, Worf's stuff does not have ramifications for the galaxy as a whole, you know. It's just more of his personal uh, spiritual practices, you know. Here we have... A people that is, you know, we have. Well, no, I think,
0: I think, uh, well, here's the difference with that, and I'll disagree with yeah. you a little bit because I don't think we ever get a sense that the Klingons have religion. Yeah, fair, uh, they, there's no organized religion on Kronos, maybe there is, I don't know, but we don't see it. Uh, in the same way that Vulcans don't really have a religion, they have mystical spiritual practices, but I don't think that they really have organized religion. It's not a theology, this it's is, a practice. yeah. this is an organized religion, it has a pope, yeah, it has. Uh, uh, temples. It has, you know, all of these sort of trappings of religion. Uh, it is a it is a bona fide organized religion, yeah. and this is something that I don't think that we see in Star Trek very much. I think it's interesting that Deep Space Nine puts this at its center because it would have it was very it would have been very easy for them to sort of retcon all the spiritual talk with Ensign Roe when the Bajorans were first being introduced in the Next Generation as being that same sort of stuff with the Klingons yeah. and the Vulcans, but it's not. They very much double down on the idea that this planet. Uh, is only unified really because of their religion which i think is is is, yeah. is is a very weird place to go for star trek but i think it's an interesting place for it to go.
1: Yeah, i mean it finally it, it frankly gives a different uh it talk you know that it gives a different perspective of what a unified planet means in a way. Um because this fra- you know this again this planet seems to be theologically united but politically very divided.
0: Yeah. And I also think that, that that frankly I think that the we don't really know enough about the Bajoran religion not to yet, really say no. whether or not it's a good thing or a bad thing. Um and we don't really get a sense that, that Kira is religious either. We don't really know at this point. Yeah. No. Uh, I don't think that we really get a good sense of what the emissary thing means. I mean you know you kind of danced around it, but I'm kind of curious what you actually think it means. Well,
1: you know, okay, so I... I, think, I mean, I'm
0: kind of painting you into a corner because you're going to say something that's kind of ridiculous, but. I
1: guess I need to want to go back and have my question about what exact... So let me clarify my understanding of what Bajor's political situation is. So you have the Cardassians come in and they occupy... The, the, you know, they're, they're space Nazis. They occupy Bejor. Yeah. They strip it for all of their minerals, you know, and resources and, you know... Is it the Card- number one? Is it the Cardassians who build Deep Space Nine, or is that a Bajoran? No, that's that's Cardassian. That's definitely Cardassian. So they build this uh, space station from which they're administrating and deploying to, and all of that stuff. Um, there is a civilian population on there, not necessarily Bajoran civilians, um, because you know, definitely we see a lot of different. Uh, I assume there is some degree of openness as far as trade or something like that goes if you're going to have a civilian population like that on your space station because um, it's not entirely a military space station, I get the sense. Um, but anyway, Cardass- the Cardassians essentially you know, rape the planet and take everything out and leave it a dead husk. And sure. all right, we're done. Sure. They, you know, th- between that, between the Bajorans fighting, the Cardassians decide, all right, we're going to pull out. And the Bajorans realize, all right, well, we need help getting back into self-sufficiency, yeah. you know, as, frankly, as any country who has been occupied does need, you know, and that's where the Federation comes in. Is that correct so far? Yeah, that's fairly accurate. Okay, so, um I don't know, so, so far the implication of Emissary is, I don't know, he— What they need is somebody who is of the Federation, but understands the Bajoran people, their needs, and what is right for Bajor. In other words, you know, the Federation is fine to groom Bajor into Federation, you know, property in a way. And I think they need to. The, the Bajorans definitely want to – even if they do decide they want to join the Federation, they need to do it in a way that keeps their identity. So I believe that when she says emissary, she means, again, somebody who understands the Bajoran culture, understands their needs, is going to be sympathetic towards their needs, is not going to be a paternalistic, well, here's what you've got to do, but is going to you know listen to their needs and their wants and work with them more than work for them, I think. I think that that's an interesting reading, and I don't think you are entirely incorrect. Uh, but... Is she talking... Then is she talking about he's an emissary to those beings in the wormhole?
0: A little bit. I think, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Okay. And I think that, you know, again, it's it's hard to get the shape of, of what exactly is yeah. going on. Is that, on that a term
1: that I'm supposed to know, even completely understand yet? Cause well, I, I,
0: I bring it up because I do not think that it is insignificant that this episode is called emissary. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of different resonances with that. I think, you know, yes, it's Cisco coming to Deep Space Nine. It's everyone coming to Deep Space Nine, you know, O'Brien, Bashir, Dax, all of these people, right? But it's also the talk about Cisco as emissary. It's talk about the Federation. You know, there's a lot of different things going on here. Um and it's not entirely clear exactly what the shape of this is yet. Uh, I don't know that there's a good answer for you yet, and I—I I mean, I know the answer, but I don't want to yeah, yeah, yeah. prejudice you against you know coming up with your own interpretations of what exactly is going but on. But this
1: the term will be used again. Is the, I, I, that I? Yes. Okay. And
0: I think that that's a good place for you to think about Deep Space Nine as a whole. Is that pay attention to it in a way that perhaps you didn't necessarily pay attention to things in The Next Generation, yeah. if you know what I mean? Because things do come back. There is a arc to this show. There is a a through line to this show. And it is a very, very different type of narrative than The Next Generation is.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, she almost seems to imply that there, you know, I do get the sense that there is a bit of, if not misinterpretation, maybe underinterpretation on Cisco's part because I think when she does say, you know, you're our emissary, he assumes it means, you know, again, you're the administrator. You've got to follow our wish, you know, and all of that, what I basically just said. Well, um, that, that's that's but, what I think is interesting but about But she implies just, there's uh, something, you know, almost uh, destiny well, or, you know – chosen one in that sense of the term. Well, yes, I mean. because
0: emissary is a very political term, but emissary is also sort of ha- has these religious connotations. I mean, does
1: it mean messiah in kind of a way? Mmm, you just gave me a look. Um, uh, you know, yeah, but
0: I think, you know, there's there's talk about Cisco's paw, which is his spirit, and there's all these kind of stuff, right? So we don't know. Yeah, and we don't and know, we don't know think, what
1: they've seen in these orbs either.
0: Well, that's the other thing. We haven't talked about the orbs. We don't really know what the orbs are. We don't know there's yeah. there's an implication that they're coming from the wormhole
1: you know yeah but at one point like dax becomes an orb and that's the way that they send her you know is it are these orbs uh you know kind of a more corporeal form of these beings and you know because we see that you know obviously when Cisco's in the wormhole he's getting all these flashes of his past yeah. he's you know yeah. seeing and whenever anyone you know, touches one of the orbs or gets comes into contact. They get a flashback of you know a significant moment in the past. Again, the ones I remember are you know Cisco meeting his you know future wife well, and Dax getting the symbiote. You know,
0: let, let's talk about Cisco because we haven't really talked about him yet. And and I think he's a very interesting character in this episode. He is a very different character yeah. than Picard. I don't know. What are your impressions of Cisco so far?
1: Um, I'm not quite sure. I entirely like him partially is just because of the tones of his voice is a little over dramatic like i know that's just personally like that you know the way he talks but for, for 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 the very first scene it sounded you know jennifer you know it sounded a little like bad acting mm-hmm. um you know and then as he started talking in more quiet scenes i'm like okay that's just in a way his accent or his you know modulation but um yeah i don't know i mean it's it's very interesting because, I mean, I think we do feel sympathetic towards him. You know, we do see that, you know, number, I mean, his relationship with his son is obviously a lot of that. You know, number one, it's nice to see, you know, it's a nice contrast to Worf, you know, who has no idea how to manage having a family and, you know, a career. And, um, you know, Cisco is obviously very invested in. You know, keeping his relationship with his son. I mean, we 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 will assume that he's made it this far and kept up a good relationship. So he's going to, you know, that's a, that's something important. That's something he's made the time to, to do. You know, Well,
0: yeah, I think. Well, I think there's a couple things there. I think number one, yes, it's it's very significant that Cisco is a father. Yeah, that makes him very different and from Picard or
1: Kirk. Frankly, a husband too. You know, and well, he, yeah, you know. At, you know, Jennifer at one point says, "Like, hey, look, Starfleet captain. You know, Starfleet officers aren't really good at having families." He says, "No, you got to make the time for that." You know, yeah. and based on what we see, what we see of their relationship, he did. You know, I I don't think that they're. You know, as, as far as what we've seen in the pilot, if she had lived, I don't think they would have the angst of, "Well, you're ignoring your career for me." You know, no, well, you're don't. ignoring me for your career. You know,
0: no, I, no, I don't think so. But but I think that there's there's a couple things here. I think number one, I don't know that it's that clear in the pilot but but cisco's not a captain
1: yeah 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 Um, and he's not as ambitious he's not
0: as ambitious and the other thing is that again in the same way that the pilot episode is sort of a high concept plot his backstory is kind of high concept yeah you know if you think about how picard was introduced uh the very first shot of picard is him coming out of the shadows and walking forward in in encounter at farpoint Point. Um, that's a very explicit, literal sort of visual metaphor for this is a man who we don't know anything about. Yeah. He is a mystery. And he kind of was a mystery. We didn't really get much about his backstory until much later on. Yeah,
1: um, And his backstory didn't inform him in the same way that this seems to inform him. Well, know? that's
0: that's what I'm saying. And that's why this is a very different show. And that's why it's going to take its characters very in, in, in a very different direction, not less seriously, but just it's going to be a much more of a primary focus for the show going forward yeah. is that Cisco's past is very, very important to the man that he is in the pilot. And it's very important to the man that he becomes throughout the seven years. Uh, It's very important that he had this relationship with Jennifer and this wife, and they had a son and they had a family. Uh, It is very important that he's, I think in a lot of ways, the fact that he is having this relationship with his son is sort of, uh, I think it's his way of honoring his dead wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that it is also very significant that he is a father because that sets him up. You know, one of the things about Picard is that it was difficult to have him be a sympathetic character sometimes. And I think what Jake, you know, Cisco's son provides yeah. is a way for him to be a hard ass to people that he needs to be a hard ass to. yeah, And then to sort of have this more sympathetic side of him. Uh I think that's interesting.
1: And the fact that Jake is actually I, I like I I I already like Jake better than Wesley or uh Alexander, you know. He's 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 fine in this episode, you know, he's not obnoxious. He's old enough that he, you know, Seems to have a head on his shoulders. If he's not okay about moving, well, that's fine. You know, that, that seems to be the source of his angst.
0: You yeah, know? I mean, he's supposed to be, I don't know, 10 or 11 or something like, oh, like that.
1: Oh, I thought he seemed more 12 or 13, but, you know— But the, either way, you Yeah, know. you know, it, do, yeah, it doesn't quite matter. You know, he's the kind of kid who he does want to explore, but then when his dad says, like, no, you really got to stay here for safety reasons, like, we'll understand, you know?
0: But I think that what's what's most interesting about Cisco, and and we can talk about whether or not this is a good idea or not in context of of the show and the audience. But you know, they put him up very much in conflict with Picard. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And and what what I think is what I think is what's going on there is that you know Cisco holds a lot of. A lot of rage back and a lot of sort of, uh, I mean, you know, PTSD, frankly, yeah. about the death of his wife. I think he blames Starfleet. I think he blames the Federation for it. And, I don't know that he's really dealt with those problems. He kind of has sus- subsumed them in a I, way. I
1: think that the point of this episode is that he hasn't dealt with those problems. Like, I think that's kind of text, you know. Right. Ways.
0: And so a and, couple of things there is that, you know, he he very much is not focused on his career, and he's thinking of leaving yeah. Starfleet. And I don't think he really even understands why. And then, well, of think, course, he's uh, uh, pushing that outward in Picard
1: and just being extremely rude to Picard. Well, I, but I mean, because... I- He's not seeing – he sees Picard and Locutus at the same moment, you know. Yep. The last time he saw Picard, he was blowing up his ship, you know, and while, you know, l- let's face it, Cisco has read every single thing he could get his hands on on the Battle of Wolf. you know. He knows every single iota of detail about yeah. it yeah. and, you know, it's his obsession and, you know, he knows that, you know – Picard is not really to blame for this. He was taken over. He was, you know, you know, forced. In. he he knows that this is probably a torturous event for him at the same time. Does he, he know that though? at the same time, he is the face of the you know, the man who killed his wife. And I don't know that he knows that. I don't know.
0: I mean, you know, that's kind of the the open question about this. And I think it raises a lot of interesting questions about how people view Picard because, yeah. We know that Picard had a traumatic experience. We know that he did not have anything to do
1: with being Locutus. We know all of that. And given that Picard but, is very much about his image, yeah, it's possibly really didn't talk about it to anyone but Troy. I doubt he did. Yeah. And I
0: think that that you know Picard dealt with it in the fashion that he dealt with it. But I don't think that anyone really understands the depth or the gravity of the situation Fair. that he was in. So I don't know that Cisco really gets that. And I think, frankly, and I don't think he wants to either. Well, I don't think he wants to, and I think he needs someone to blame. And I yeah. think in that moment, Picard is the person. that
1: he's blaming. Picard is easier to blame than the faceless Borg or the right. Starfleet itself, you know. I mean, I get the sense that Cisco again, he's not very career oriented. He certainly joined Starfleet, I think when he joined he liked his work, you know, and he found it very, you know, interesting, you know, and it was, but at the same time you also I th- I think it's clear that he was you know, if he had to make the choice between career or family, he chose family. And that was kind of his purpose and his, you know, the thing he got up in the morning for, you know. And well, I you don't know, think, if, I if, mean,
0: I don't think it's insignificant that I, I, I'm not sure, but I think that he was supposed to be the first officer of the Saratoga, which would mean he was a commander. Uh, we're talking about you know three and a half years later, and he's still a commander. Yeah, you know I, I don't I don't get and and that's kind of significant for different think,
1: reasons than Riker is still a commander. You know what well, I mean? Well, because
0: I think that if you look at it in terms of context with with what was going on in Starfleet, I mean they were decimated. They lost you know a bunch of ships. I mean at the end of Best of Both Worlds, you know Shelby talks about having to rebuild the fleet. Yeah, they're going to need a lot of new captains, and I think the fact that Cisco has not stepped up and and you know, agreed to take that promotion. I think is indicative of something as well, which yeah. is that he's very, very ambivalent about his career in Starfleet.
1: You know, Riker decides that he never wants to be a captain because, again, he has. We've talked about that a lot. He has a loyalty to card, He likes being in on the action. All of all of that kind of thing. Cisco seems to not want to be the captain because I think he realizes that he, can, you know. He can, he can juggle having a family and, you know, maybe a first officer's career, but he probably can't do that as a captain. I think he's the kind of person who refused captaincy on the basis of, I will spend less time with my kid, you know?
0: I think that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it. And I, you know, I think that that might be the reason why, but I don't know that that's the the real reason. Do you know what I mean?
1: Maybe. I mean, he might not just be Captain Material, you know. I, I, I would disagree with
0: that, but I think a lot of it just has to do with his ambivalence about Starfleet. Yeah, and I think that that he doesn't want that promotion because he doesn't know if he wants to stay, and I mm-hmm. think he has a lot of unresolved feelings about it.
1: Frankly, well, yeah. I mean, he mentioned civilian service, and you know, Picard is offended almost by that idea, but um, you know yeah Cisco is the kind of person who wants to be in a service rather you know than something, but you know he doesn't want to do this no, not at all, not at all you know maybe he wants to be you know just like Kira, I think he want he he's happier keeping his you know getting his hands dirty and actually working with the people rather than you know overseeing and administrating and doing you know and pushing against a hopeless cause,
0: yeah, yeah, but then. You know, I think that feeds into the events of the last half of the episode, yeah. which are the discovery of the wormhole and, you know, all of that sort of discussion about linear time and the aliens and the wormhole and the Cardassians and all of this stuff, right? Because that is really the key turning point for Cisco in this
1: episode, where he realizes that he does want to stay. Yeah. Um, well, he realizes, again, I think family was his purpose in life. You know, his wife, you know, he thought the world of his wife and kid and when his wife died he lost his you know, again he lost his reason to get up in the morning why is he doing this he's just kind of coasting right. and you know he's spending all he's spending more time grieving for her than he is coming up with all right well you know i need to figure out the next step you know he's stayed there again he, they you know the aliens keep making the point you exist here you're staying here you know no matter what you are You know, reliving this moment over and over again, you know, more than anything. And, you know, if he's feeling ambivalent, it's because I think maybe for him coming up with the next purpose saying, okay, well, this is a big job, but I can do this and, you know, it's important, you know. What feels like forgetting her in a way?
0: Well, yeah, and I think that you know uh, some of the you know I think that the wormhole stuff is the weakest part of the episode, yeah. and I think that you know a lot of it is just because it's repeating itself you know a few times. But it is it is important for that reason that you state that it does kind of show Cisco that he's been stuck in this sort of grief cycle yeah. and he hasn't really been able to get out of it. Now, part of that is a little bit of a shortcut, and you know yeah. it, it's it's a little it's a little neat and tidy, but. I don't have a problem with it because I think Cisco needs to get out yeah, of it yeah, somehow, yeah. and and I'm not and sure TV that can
1: do that thing where you have an epiphany and you get fixed. Yeah, you
0: know? yeah, and that's fine. I mean, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that, and I think even in context, it works. And I think it's interesting because you know the wormhole represents this sort of rebirth of of. Bejor, really, because Bejor at the end of the episode, as they say, is suddenly. You know, well, Picard says it is that it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, Deep Space Nine and Bejor are going to become a, a hotbed for scientific and economic and
1: trade. It's as if a freeway suddenly spawned outside of a tiny town. You know. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, it, they have an entirely new part of the galaxy that is was was just unreachable before. Yeah. You know, and this is going to be kind of the other exciting thing about the show going forward is, you know, what does that really mean for? The people that are at Deep Space Nine, and what does that mean for the Bajorans that they have this gateway to uh, a part of space that's seventy thousand light years away? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, They don't really give a good sense of how long it takes to travel that, but it would be about seventy years. This is pretty significant.
1: Yeah, I I mean, it's it's if if they haven't given a number, it's made clear that you know this is not you know clear. You know, this is not a quick jaunt. You know, this is not someplace that they've you know they they find it. Uh, uh, um, they they don't even recognize where they are at first. They don't believe where they are at first, you know, when they're talking to the computer about it, you know?
0: Right. And that's going to be kind of a, an important motif of the show going forward. Yeah. What about, I mean, aside from all of that stuff, I mean, we haven't really talked about a lot of the other sort of main characters in this episode. I mean, there's there's Bashir, there's Dax, there's Quark, there's well, Odo, okay, and there's seen, O'Brien.
1: Yeah, so O'Brien – I mean, O'Brien is O'Brien. You know, if this is a slightly different tweak of his character, you know, it's still O'Brien. You know, he's doing more in this episode, certainly. He's main cast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is, you know, consistent what we've, what we've seen in O'Brien episodes, you know. Um, Quark, I think we've seen scraps of at one point.
0: Well, I, later on, you're getting, oh, well, it's a little confusing because your, yeah, okay. your, Quark appeared in, I think, a seventh season he episode of in, The Next Generation. Yeah.
1: I thought, wasn't it the one where, cause they visit Deep Space Nine in the episode where Worf goes to that romulan prison camp, right, right? i think right. it was that same episode
0: yeah he may have been in that and then he appeared on he appeared on the view screen at one point in, yeah in, i think in the seventh season
1: um and bashir was definitely on that one too yes. um Cork, i like quark i feel they've characterized fairly well dax i like a lot and i'm li-
0: worried about having a ferengi as a, <laughs> as a main cast member
1: no only because i i i, I like armin Shimerman. i know that he's one of the you know I I knew who Quark was before going into the show. This was one of the few characters I knew. Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. I would assume that he is at least watchable. Yeah. Um, Dax, I like. I like her relationship with Cisco. I think that's going to be a very interesting uh, angle to go in. I think that's going to be a very interesting backstory to see, you know, and – You know, the symbiotes, I think, were, you know, obviously the appearance on Next Generation was kind of the test drive for them. Yeah. Now that they've kind of figured out their, you know, again, you can see where some retcons were made already, but... I'm looking forward to seeing that
0: well I mean yeah, and I think in 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 service of adding a little bit of a different flavor on the yeah. character I think it's 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 a way to go i mean i don't necessarily think that the trill as as portrayed in in that episode the host would have been very interesting no, in no. long term so I like the fact that they're making it more of a a symbiotic relationship frankly and and you know the the implication I think is that you know uh Jedzia had her own personality and oh, that's then,
1: the the woman's name yeah okay uh
0: which yeah it's interesting i don't think they say that in this episode no they didn't um, um they actually no i think maybe Bashir did when he was hitting on her but anyway
1: <laughs> um uh, and uh, you know they make it clear you know i i think it'll be interesting because you know uh obviously you know number one i think it's going to be interesting to see how you know she and Cisco know each other but you know he calls her old man you know we see that you know in the surgery right. scene you know and all of that i wonder if there is a difference in personality between you know Dax and the old man and Dax and this woman, you know. I would think so.
0: Yeah. You know, and I think that one of the things that, that is made clear later on is that sort of the personality changes a little bit, you know, in terms of each, yeah, each yeah, host, yeah. really. Which
1: so. I can imagine, you know, and but again, that can be a very interesting angle to take that character. Sure, sure. Um If I don't really like Odo very much right now, I don't think he really has, you know, I, I, I don't think they spend much time on him in this episode just because, again, it was – you yeah, know, they they can't do everything, and they'll do that later
0: on. Well, I would agree with that, and I think that that what what's interesting about emissary is that they do a really good job at introducing all of the characters very yeah. quickly in these quick sketches. I mean, obviously, yeah. we spend a lot of time with Cisco, uh, and we spend you know not a lot of time with Kira, but it feels like a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of that is also because if you've been watching the Next Generation, they sort of have already built up the Bajorans a little bit, so you know a little bit yeah, yeah, about yeah. them and what they're about. Uh, and also, frankly, she's a she's a character trope that is just kind of, you know, yeah. that that's that's a standard thing. I think that's understood. Uh, I think they do a pretty good job sketching out all the characters except for Odo. You know, you get a sense of Bashir. He's young. He's inexperienced. You know,
1: Bish- I don't feel like they sell Bashir completely because the sense that I want—certainly they sell his naivete very yeah. much. You yeah. know, again, he thinks he's, you know, he thinks he's in a Western movie, you know. He thinks he's, you know, going to make a glory and a legend for himself, you know. Um, I mean, if you take it out to if you take that out to its logical extreme,
0: it's basically you know a doctor from New York in 1840 going out to the Dakotas and talking yeah, yeah, yeah. like that to a Native American, and it would be very offensive. Or
1: hell, frankly, you know, somebody nowadays, you know, going into a poor third world country and seeing it as an adventure rather than you know right. these are actual people, right? Um, I think they need to sell. I didn't, don't think they did a good enough job of selling him as a doctor quite yet. I mean, he says, "Oh, I had my pick of the position," which you know implies that he's like you know Doctor Crusher, you yeah. know, in yeah. terms of where he is on his career. You know, he could take the Enterprise you know position if he wanted, you know, but you know, and, and there's that one scene where he's like, "Oh, I'm going to say I saved everybody, no deaths," you know. That said, again, there there's only so much they can do in this episode. Um, but I think they do need to sell him more as a – he's a brilliant doctor who's just really ha- doesn't have the right ideas about what this actually means.
0: Oh, I would agree with all of that. I just think in terms of getting a sense of who he is, I think they do a pretty good job. Yeah. You know, and I think that, that- – the only character they don't do that for really is Odo. Yeah. You know? And I part of that may be deliberate because Odo does have this sort of uh, air of mystery around him. I mean, very explicitly, he says that he was found in the Denorius Belt and they don't know where he came from. And you're kind of like, what the hell does that mean? Um, yeah. So what's that about? And then also he's a shapeshifter. So yeah.
1: Was that the uh, dog thing uh, from, oh, God, Aquiel? No. Oh, okay. He's not one of those. No, okay. See, then, yeah. So, it's going to be curious. You know, yeah. I mean, that is the central mystery, and he's, again... It's interesting you thought he was one of those. Because, again, well, that's the only shapeshifter we've seen. Oh, okay. Um, And, again, given the lack, that's all we really know about him. That's all he really seems to know about himself, you know, frankly.
0: I think Aquiel... Was Aquiel on after this, actually?
1: I feel like it might have been, Which maybe so. is part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, fair. Um... Either way, you know, in terms of, again, I like aliens that aren't just a guy in a mask. You know, he does have a extraordinarily different physiology than anybody on this, you know, that, frankly, that we've seen, just as Dax does. And, you know, that itself is interesting. I'm curious about Odo. I will say I'm at least curious about all of these characters.
0: And I think that's a good place Which to is, be.
1: For, from a pilot, you know, and I wouldn't say that's a weakness. Again, there's an hour and a half of screen time and there's a lot of shit we got to cover, you know. We can deal with Odo later, you know. He can be the protagonist of the next episode, you know, or something.
0: Yeah, and I think that this show has already done a better job of making the characters interesting and compelling mm. uh, in a way that Encounter at Farpoint perhaps did not make a lot of the characters interesting and compelling. Yeah,
1: I, I mean, in a way, uh, Odo is kind of the... Uh, At least job equivalent of Tasha Yar, and we know still—I'm a lot more curious about him than I ever was about her, at least early on. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I also think the the, the intriguing thing about this, and we talked about this a little bit earlier on, but— just that they do set all these characters up as being very different from each other. And they do set all these characters up as as, as disagreeing, frankly. And, and you know, I don't think that Kira really likes Bashir. I think
1: that Cisco yeah. and
0: Kira don't really get along very well. I don't think Kira gets along well with anybody except well, for maybe Odo. But
1: yeah, I was going to say, I think I like that Odo and Kira seem to have a very, you know, equal relationship in a lot of ways. Like, you know, again, he tells her, look, no, I'm going on this, you know. And she's like, all right, you know, no, he... She can be very easily convinced by him, you know. She, you know, they obviously very much trust each other, you know. They were, out of, I really think they're the two, if, unless I'm mistaken, they're the, they've been working together a long time, you know, and have had that time to build up that trust. And, you know, I do buy that they have had a prior, you know, they have a prior relationship with each other, you know, that they've built something together in a way that, you know, the other characters necessarily haven't, you know. Yeah. It character, and it characterizes, frankly, the both of them because you, uh... Kira's not just, as you said, no, Kira doesn't just dislike everybody, you know? She just has legitimate reasons not to trust people, but she she is, can trust people who she's, who have demonstrated that. I think even with Bashir, she finds him a little more, you know, she gets offended, but then, you know, once it happens, she's like, all right, do that frontier medicine, like, that's basic, you know? And I think she does respect that he does manage to get, you know, everyone safe at the end of it. You know, that's important. You know, that's her, that's her saying, you got to put your money where your your mouth is. If you want adventure, take it, you know, but you've got to really do this. And the fact that he does pass that is worthy of respect, even if he is a little annoying. I think she might think that he's capable of growing up actually after this episode.
0: Well, yeah, I think so. And I think that, that Kira is already being portrayed as someone who is not impressed by wor- by words. You yeah. know, she's impressed by actions, and she's impressed by someone who just follows through with what they say. Mm. Uh, you know, I think that she's someone who respects sort of, you know, a uh, uh, clarity of, of personality or clarity yeah. of thought. And
1: well, the Cardassian, she says, you know, they you, the Cardassians said the same exact thing as the Federation does, she says at one point. And, yeah. you know, so she knows that, you know, governments and groups will lie and will, you know, you know distort things and will make themselves feel, you know, seem better. And she knows people do that. And well, that's she's what tired I, of bullshit. Yeah. Well, that's what
0: I like about it is I think, you know, the show is already sort of portraying the Federation in a different way because uh, this is kind of how people would react to, a, to yeah. an entity like Starfleet and the Federation coming in and throwing their weight around. I think that they would be skeptical and they would sort of um, feel a little bit trod upon. And, and, they're not going to immediately come around and say, "Oh, great, you're here. Let's." I hope you fix everything. You know, that's just not how people were. Yeah. And I think that it's it's an inter- interesting thing for the show to do, and it's an interesting direction to take Star Trek in to have these characters that are are acting like you know normal people in a sense, even though they're aliens. And yeah. and also the fact of the matter is that a lot of the you know Starfleet people that we see are kind of misfits in a sense as well. You yeah. You know, this is kind of like a station of misfits. Yeah. Um, in and, a way,
1: it's the place where you, it's, it's not quite a punishment assignment, but it's not exactly a cushy job, you know, in the sense that, you know, again, we, the series that we just finished, all of those characters had a cushy job in a lot of ways.
0: Well, it's a cushy job. It's a hotel in space. A prestige, you know.
1: or, you know, even, even though there were dangers and challenges, it was a prestige job. I mean, they don't
0: know. even have beds. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's a hundred degrees in ops. I mean, there's, there's, there's things that are just not comfortable about this. And I think that they're, you know, and that's kind
1: of the thing that I think it's a broken spaceship that they have to, number one, they have to fix their whole, you know, their, their space station before they can even begin to fix Beijing.
0: Well, that's the thing that's really, really interesting about it is that. Nobody feels comfortable here, really. Maybe Odo and Kira do, but nobody else does because this is a Cardassian space station. This does not feel normal to them. You know, this is not a Federation space station.
1: And I wouldn't say she feels comfortable. I would say she maybe feels not uncomfortable. Right, right.
0: But that's going to sort of feed into, I think, a lot yeah. of the, the the interactions that people have. Um, you know, even to the point where they do make explicit mentions of the fact that. Uh, this is not a Federation spaceship. Yeah. Starship, and the fact that, like you know, the 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 office is looking up, and everyone has to look up at the office, and there's all kinds of little things that are very different about this. Um, it's just a different place, yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see where they take that. Yeah. I guess the last thing to mention is we haven't really talked about the, the Cardassians in this episode, but uh, Gold Ducat because he was the 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 the. Uh, uh, whatever you want to call him of, of, of deep space nine when it was called Terok Nor, cause Terok Nor was the Cardassian name for it. So he's not happy that he's been kicked out and they have this sort of like tense, um, conversation in Cisco's office yeah. now. Uh, I don't really have a lot to say about it because I think that that's, you know, aside from the fact that it's interesting that that Gul is there to sort of poke it at Cisco a little bit and say, I know what you're doing." Even if you don't think that you're, uh, uh, even if you think you're being you're being coy, you're not being coy. Uh, we're paying attention to what the Federation is doing here, yeah. and you're going to come in and think you're going to fix everything, and you're not. Uh, Gul Dukat is uh, pay attention to him.
1: I mean, he's a. I, I- from what you know, and you, you've from what you've said, you know they they take the Cardassians much more complex in this series. This is series is in a way about the Cardassians, but um, I, I like but that said. I think the Cardassians are definitely the villains of the piece, but I think he's a very effective and interesting villain. Again, we were, uh, yeah. He, he I like. No, wait, wait. wait he wasn't. He, wait, he's the one. I mean, he's who's who's with. Kira, and they're, you know, playing this, you know, cat and mouse game with each other, right? You know, he in the big scene when everyone's in the wormhole. No. I can't tell characters apart.
0: No, Goldicott's the one that goes through the wormhole and gets stuck on the other oh, side. Oh,
1: okay, okay. Yeah. Um, All right, so I didn't recognize that. Um, I mean, the Cardassians, you know, again, the Cardassians in general, I find to be effective villains. I think they're... <sighs> I don't know. I guess I can't say I necessarily could give you a character read on Gal because I guess I confused him with the other Cardassian that's in this episode. Um, but that Cardassian is not important. Yeah, okay, you know. That said, I thought he was an effective villain for the episode. I thought I liked that scene where he and you know Kira are trying out bluff each other, basically. You know, and you know, there's a lot of I know you know I know kind of things going on, and I always like those. I thought it was a effective scene at least um
0: well i think yeah and i think that 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 I, on the whole i mean you know if we wrap our, back around this whole conversation and talk about the sort of pilot as a whole uh i think that that what you're seeing here is you are seeing the 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 star trek production crew um and the writers and, and the director and everybody involved in this uh really knowing how to make television now. Yeah. I think Encounter at Farpoint was them sort of figuring that out and sort of figuring out what this show was and even sort of figuring out how to make television. I think well, that this is a much more... It's a much more ambitious pilot, but it's also a much more technically accomplished pilot.
1: And I will what I will say is that, again, one of the things that we talked a lot about the first season and maybe first season and a half of Next Generation was it was trying to be Star Trek Part Two, you know? And it was very much... While it was trying to avoid being in the shadow of the original series, in a lot of ways it was still structured like this. It took a while to find its own voice and figure out what kind of show it was going to be and figuring out what – frankly, recognizing that it was 20 years later and that TV had to be made differently. I think they knew that from the beginning on this show. They definitely knew that we need to make this a different tone. We need to make this – I mean hell – The credits are very different. I mean, it's uh, you know we've you know next generation original series are all the Enterprise going through space and you see planets and suns and stuff and this is just panning around the spaceship, you know, which is going to remain stationary for the most part. I mean, a big part of the pilot is how do we move the station a little bit, right? Right. Um, It does spin. Yeah, but, you know, but, you yeah. know it, it's it's not designed to travel through space, you know. It's not going places. It's staying in one place and it's about, you know, I feel like this is going to be about Deep Space Nine in a way more than Next Generation was about the Enterprise, you know. Again, we yes. talked about this last week. We were talking about Generations, you know. Original series the Enterprise was a character. Next generation it was just where they lived and worked. Here I think deep space not hell. The series is named after it. It's going to be a character.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good summation of it and I think that that w- w- what is most striking about Emissary is that it is very different. And and we we've kind of talked a lot about those reasons about why it's different, but I think that, you know, frankly, I'm glad that they wanted to make a different show because I don't think that it would have been interesting to have just a third show about a starship flying through space, especially concurrently with you know the other. You know
1: that that's frankly the you know if you're having two you know if if Deep Space Nine was just about another crew going around the universe, well, I really like Picard and his, you know, people, you know, why am I going to watch that other show, you know?
0: Yeah, and I think that, that you know, it remains to be seen if uh, Deep Space Nine Uh, can stretch what it means, what Star Trek means and sort of like, you know, we have to see We're we're going to watch the entire series, but that's the whole point of the show about Trek about. Um, But, you know, at least in this first episode, I think that they're doing a pretty good job of, of, of stretching what Star Trek means and sort of the kinds of stories that it can tell. And I think that that's an exciting place for, for, for the show to go and, and for this podcast to go, frankly.
1: What I will say though, is that again, you know, you, you've said several times, you know, by this point, Next Generation was Star Trek and obviously, you know, I I think nowadays at least, if not the original series is Star Trek, Kirk and his crew are what we think of as Star Trek. I don't think Deep Space Nine ever gets that cultural cachet.
0: No, no, it doesn't. It, it, it it's very much a Trekkies Trek. Yeah, uh, which is not to say that it's a bad thing.
1: No, um, but I do I I do get the sense already that I probably wouldn't like have liked this this as much two years ago, two three years ago. You know, before we started the series, if you had, I I, I already can tell this is not a gateway into Star Trek. I don't think. No, it's
0: know. no it's not. I, I actually I think that's very astute of you and I think that's one of the reasons why this this podcast is so yeah. um is so interesting is because I think you do have a very different read on it, but I also think that you do have very astute observations about uh uh Star Trek and where things go. Yeah, and, and if, if I
1: wanted if somebody, you know, at this point, if some you know, only having seen you know, original animated uh, next gen and now beginning DS9 um, and the movies, of course. You know, if someone said, oh, I'd like to watch some Star Trek, I'll put them onto season three of Next Generation. Like, right. that's where right. I would, frankly, I, I may show them best of both worlds and this is where you start, you know? Yeah, um, yeah I, I don't think of this as that kind of a show.
0: Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting to see what you think of that going forward. Yeah. But that
1: that said, I like that I think there is room for that. I think there is room for, in in a way, an advanced Star Trek, if you will. And I like that I'm at that point.
0: Yeah, and and, and I think that's good because I think if you look at it thematically, I think that's very true. I think that this is the show that... I think, in a way, this is the show so far that takes the concept of Star Trek as far as it can go. Yeah. Well, they, um, well,
1: again, you know, if you're just watching Star Trek casually, you just want to see a, you know, Picard or Kirk, you know, go on some adventures, and yeah, the Federation, and you know, we're going to find aliens, and it's going to be nice at the, you know, and this is saying, well, you know, again, during the entirety of Next Generation, I'd said, you know, oh, they should go into this deeper. I'd be interested in seeing what this is, and from what you've said this is that answer
0: a little bit yeah i would agree with that um and then the first season is kind of terrible. So just be oh. prepared for that. <laughs> 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 they, they do all this nice setup and then they sort of throw it away. Oh. Um, so just be a little aware that the first season is rough going. So nowhere near as rough as the first season of The Next Generation. Okay, uh, it's, it's just not. It, it, they, they, it's more competently directed. It's more competently acted. Uh, it's more competently written. They know a little bit more about how to make a Star Trek television show at this point. Even if they're not quite sure uh, what this show is supposed to be yet. Yeah, uh, that's going to change, and it finds its feet a lot quicker yeah. than the next generation did. But it is a show that does still take a little while to figure out where it's going. It's a slow burn, okay. Um, and I think a large part of that, frankly, is. And we'll get back. You know, we haven't really talked a lot about the the production crew and stuff. I mean, this was Michael Pillar's show, and he sort of co created it. Um, you know, the showrunner that I think takes the show over, I'm not exactly sure when that happens, but he's a man named Iris Stephen Bear, and he's the one that really uh uh shapes the show yeah. in a lot of ways. And so that's the missing be, piece, kinda. Well, right, because Brian and Braga came over from the next generation, so he's involved in Deep Space Nine. Iris Steven Bear uh is the showrunner on, on Deep Space Nine. There's another man called Robert Wolf who was very involved in this. And so there's a lot of people. Behind oh man, a bear and a wolf. I know, right? Uh, that are very involved in shaping the next uh, sh- shaping D. Space Nine into being a very different show than the next generation. Okay, so we'll see where it goes.
1: Well, I will say I'm very excited to watch this. I have been excited to watch this. I don't quite know what I'm getting into, even having seen the pilot. I'm because this could go in a bunch of different directions at this point. Still,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's an that's an exciting place to be.
1: Look at the cage, or look at no man has gone before. Look at uh Encounter at Farpoint and look at emissary. Out of those four, this is the show I'm most more intrigued to watch. Like this is pike. This pilot piqued my interest the most.
0: Interesting. Okay. Um. Well, if you would like to share your thoughts on this episode of the podcast, please do so in the post for this episode at TrekAboutShow.com. Uh, like us on Facebook at facebookcom trekaboutshow. Follow us on Twitter at twittercom trekaboutshow. Uh, And as always, leave us a review on iTunes, especially if you're a new listener coming in uh, for Deep Space Nine. I know there are some of you out there. Uh, We have heard many comments from people that uh, were very excited for us to get to Deep Space Nine. And now that it has finally happened, leave us a review.
1: Was it worth your expectations? I hope yes.
0: And share it. If you have people that really like Deep Space Nine and... You know, Deep Space Nine doesn't really get as much attention as the other Star Trek shows, although that's changing a little bit.
1: Let's change that, folks, fans, everybody. Let's 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 make Deep Space Nine be what Star Trek is. It starts here.
0: Uh, so, if you do have people that you think would like the show, track them out. Uh, you know, let them know, and let them know that we do have uh, quite a few back episodes as well. So <laughs> there's a lot of stuff there at this point. We have three years of podcasts. Uh, so let me ask,
1: how What's what's our number? How many episodes even, do we have? At this I don't po- even know. God, it's like 100. It's got to be at least 50 at this point, or something. Okay, so pretty much you've got a long weekend ahead of you, listeners.
0: Yep. All right, well, join us next week as we continue our adventure into Deep Space Nine uh, by talking about the second and third episodes of the show, which are called A Man Alone and Past Prologue.